Well, guess what, Heather? We're going to read in heaven because it's episode 11. <laughs> Welcome to the Teacher Squad podcast. What have we got this week, Jane? Well, we haven't got any emails, I'll tell you that much, but <laughs> I am going to be whipping something off and you're going to have to guess what it is. Oh, interesting. Um, I'm going to be getting raucous so all the neighbours can hear. Oh, you noisy devil. Um, We're going to be put under pressure uh, because we're going to be having to do some really hard thinking uh, because Dr. Timothy Rosinski is going to put us through our paces with some word ladders. Under pressure. And we're going to finish off with some perfect poetry performance. It's going to be a good episode. Yes. So, hope you're uh, sitting comfortably, standing, doing the washing up. Hope you're not doing that. Oh, well, and let's get started. Well, guess what, Heather? It is. Oh, we've got to start going into harder and harder numbers. Oh, my goodness. It's episode <laughs> 11 of the Teachers Podcast. Legs 11. Uh, oh, I'd love to whistle, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had long legs. I've only got short little ones, but oh. never mind. <laughs> Have you had a good week, Jane? I've had uh, I've had a, a good week, less driving, lots more zooming. Good. So that was good, and uh, I've been trying to get to bed early. So yeah, I'm feeling good. Get you looking after yourself. I can't do it. I can't go to bed early. It's just not me. <laughs> what is your bedtime, Heather? Um, midnight. Yeah, you start thinking about bed. Or are you in bed at midnight? Um, I can't upstairs at midnight oh my I feel like I was gonna sing then midnight at the oasis (laughs) you and your old woman's blanket and 57 books yeah oh yeah that's me that's me oh there we go what are you grateful for this week Jane well on my appreciation station in fact I'm just gonna say I'm doing a little bit more inking of my positive thinking because uh just trying to sort of getting in tune with uh and seeing the benefits of having a positive attitude uh but yeah i am really grateful it doesn't gonna, it's not gonna sound like i am but just bear with me <laughs> I'm, I'm there i'm there yeah you've you've taught all day you could then go straight to a staff meeting and you're starving yeah. you're starving and it's not one of those staff meetings where the where you've got some donuts because they're you know, that was the hard staff meeting. So this is the easy staff meeting. So don't feel like you have to be bribed. <laughs> then you, you're trying to drive home. You're stuck in traffic. Um, and even heart dance isn't cheering you up. And you're just a bit of a grump. And then you get the call. Uh, can you pop into Aldi uh, and get a few bits, which is the tragic, you know, phone call of there's no food in the house. You were there's on no- a whoosh run. I know. Once you know, there's no. We've got to get some bits. There's nothing in the house to eat, and then you get in, and this feeling of wanging off your bra. Oh, I love that feeling. 
you know, all the all the scaffold <laughs> scaffolding. <laughs> I don't mean educational <laughs> scaffolding. Uh, oh dear, you know that that long dayness of having boobs and you know, sometimes and I, I'm really grumpy in the day and I don't know why and, and what it is. And I only realise it when I get home, a bit of underwire has whittled out. Oh, the pain. And he's digging in my flesh. Um, <laughs> and, you know, like you think, why am I so gnarly when kids say, can I turn over, miss? I think, what? <laughs> why am I so ratty? And they go. Or, you, or, you, or they're grunting at you and they're waving their hands and it's <laughs> panting and you go, yes. And they go, I've forgotten. Oh, wow. uh. <laughs> <laughs> But just, yeah, it's just like that, you know, releasing the twins. You know, I like to call them the bad boys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, since breastfeeding, and uh, I've 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 breastfed four children, uh, and you kind of you kind of enter a new world of sort of areola size, you know. Like I'm, when these get released, it's like I'm not even talking about saucers. <laughs> I'm like, like flying saucers. <laughs> oh God, oh, Jane! And, and even in the morning, I'm thinking I've got to go to Doncaster today. Just like packing them away for. You know, for the classroom, I just love wanging them out at the end of the day. Yeah, that so, is. So you're telling me you're grateful for getting your kit off. <laughs> <laughs> As per. <laughs> oh, so, so much is running through my mind then. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's another song, isn't there? Do your boobs and <laughs> Oh, there's, yes. There's, listen, if you are young and pert, and pre-breastfeeding. Yes. Please appreciate what you've got. When they're yes. pointing the right way, you'll yes. miss you'll miss that when they're gone. Yeah, um, you will. I'm grateful for the job that they've done in breastfeeding my daughter. Yeah. Um, but they're never the same. No, never, never. And my daughters are really into kind of kind of free the nipple. Then they don't even really do bras. Um, but I, I, in a way. It, they haven't even started in life yet. Do you know what I mean? That's how they're feeling now. You just wait. You just wait. You just wait, girls. <laughs> I'm glad you talked about bras, Jane, uh, because we've been talking about bras on another podcast, not about wanging them off, but about <laughs> bra burning yes. and our feminist vibe. We, um, yep. we've, we've been recording today on the Teach, Sleep, Repeat podcast with Dylan and Hayden. So that's a kind of joint gratitude, isn't it? We're grateful to be invited on there and to allow us to talk about burning Allow bars. us on. Yeah, <laughs> allow us on. How stupid of them. <laughs> you could see them thinking, oh, God, we haven't told her about we're not PG. It's like, where's our piece of paper? And I think now they said that we there was a little technical issue that when we first started chatting, they hadn't pressed record and we had to go again. I, I wonder whether they were just sussing us out to see yeah. whether we, we were okay. Yeah. We must have passed the test because we, uh, we'll hopefully be featuring on their podcast next week. So pop over there. They yeah. have a similar conversational style, which you, you might like, talking yeah. all things education. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they're, they're maths, aren't they? And I found that really interesting, yeah. you know, like, because we, 
don't shut up about words, but just, I actually got a bit nervous. They're going to ask us some maths questions, but they didn't, thankfully. Uh, even though I am here flying the flag for girl mathematicians, um, yeah, I didn't fancy doing some long division uh, live on, uh, you know, on a podcast. Thank Too goodness. true. <laughs> and they didn't ask you if you were avid mathematician either. So we got off with that one. Yeah. <laughs> Jane, I'm grateful for a message and not via email you know I'm Mm. still disappointed um (laughs) with the level of emails that we're getting in but let's put that away for now um last week I chatted all about the non-fiction conference that I'd attended and talked about some of the speakers and Isabel Thomas has a message to say that she's listened to the podcast she said she could listen to us to chat all day love Um, that I don't think my husband would agree with that, but there we go. But also that the podcast was like, are you ready for this? This is this is going to get you like a huge hug. Oh, that is adorable. And another reason, you know, like if Isabel Thomas thinks it's like a huge hug, I just want to clarify, does she want my bra on or off for that? Because <laughs> I'd really... I'm going I'm to go with on because I think it would feel quite weird. I don't want to hug you with no bra on, I was going to say that she said she would like to come on and chat to us Yay. about all things non-fiction, but maybe you might have just... Yeah, ruined it. Oh, damn it. No. (laughs) No, Let's get snuggly. So I'm grateful for people, you know, having a listen. Um, And she said she actually referred to me as the squirrel spy. Um, And I think, you know, we talked about the new level of our relationship and maybe pet names has just arrived and it seems to have taken off. I am the squirrel. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and actually there's loads of places so I want you to go and have a little mole around. Yeah, I'll tell you yeah. what, yeah. I'm going to send you <laughs> off uh, in certain directions for definite. Well, yeah. one place that I haven't been squirrelling, but I've just seen a, a a tweet about it. I would have liked to have been Squirrel Spy. I think it was the Helen Hamlin Centre for Pedagogy event all about children's literature. And um, the wonderful Teresa Kremen has tagged me in a post about one of the speakers, Farah Serouk from the CLPE, who is uh, integral in their reflecting realities. uh, I love those reports. They're so powerful. Yeah. uh, How books and social justice uh, come together so I kind of wish I'd have been there to hear that talk but I think those people who have listened to it will have, will have got lots and lots from it and it's it's definitely something that schools need to think about in their diversity of choice of books um, yeah, making yeah. sure yeah. that what our children are reading yeah. um, are breaking down barriers changing ideas and not reinforcing some uh, tropes that that we don't want to I've yeah. been putting together some book lists for schools today that's one of the nice things I get to do when they say we've got this money um, yeah. and hurrah for schools that have got funding for it uh, and they want uh, with the specific instruction of this is our curriculum and we want great books and we want them to be diverse yeah. um, and uh, it's great that schools are, are doing that and making sure that they're evaluating what they've got that's right. And it's the CLP report, isn't it, that tells us about actually um, 
you know, very superficial things sometimes that, you know, I'm not talking about all publishers, but kind of poor publishing decisions making. They've said it's like called the the Jasmine effect. You know, if in doubt and you want to look diverse, chuck a character in called Jasmine. And it's just, you know, we just think, I think we've moved on since that report, which was about three years ago. Um, and it is getting better, but uh, there's so much further we can go in terms of uh, breadth of diversity and, um, as you say, breaking down uh, stereotypes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I yep. think publishers are getting better and, and the CLBA are brilliant. They, they produce that report each year. So we, we can actually see the progression and uh, Farah's a great speaker as well. Maybe that that's one to put out into the universe. It would be it would be really good to have her uh, come and chat to us. Yeah, uh, about that. And then if you do get an email between now and the day you die, Heather, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that one email that you do get, you know, could be about like who would you like us to interview because. You know, we'll get somebody from anywhere uh, because uh, we are quite persuasive when we want to uh, move and groove and speak, you know, and be quite responsive to the community. You know, um, you know, uh, who do you want us to kind of interrogate and get on and, you know. Absolutely, because we've we've both got nice little black books of contacts, haven't we? Yes. But this is, you know, this is not just about Jane and I and our podcast wife relationship. (laughs) You're all involved, everybody. Yeah, hop on in. definitely (laughs) want to be chatting with those people. So those who don't know, it's heather at theteachersquadpodcast.com. Don't email Jane, she won't email back. (laughs) Brilliant. I like the way we've got these boundaries sorted. They Jane is it. too busy speaking to the, uh, you know, the people in the ivory towers. She's way too important. <laughs> Me, down on the ground, ready to speak to everybody. Oh, Heather. Oh, are you just, you, you, you're more than a squirrel. You've got to be cuter than a squirrel. I just think sometimes. Oh, I just, I, Can I, I be a red squirrel though? I don't know. I want you to be something fluffy from the woodland, but I think it needs to be cuter than a squirrel. I'm not really, yeah, something, I don't know. Well, I'm thinking on that. Um, okay. I'll leave that one with you. In the meantime, yeah. Um, what, what have you been thinking about? Have you got a sentence for us this week? Yeah. Um, I've been thinking a lot um, uh, about reading. And that, and that's uh, for all sorts of reasons. You know, you, you, and I both think about reading a lot. Uh, and my sentence is about th- that we are in a sort of there's there's a moment in time, isn't there, in the, in in our world, um, and it's changing very fast. And um, I want to talk about digital media reading. And my sentence is this. Um, Digital media trains us to be high bandwidth consumers. You know, that's a certain type of reading. Um, But there is sort of the slow gift of reading, you know, um, like a book from beginning to end that provides um, very meditative thinking. And uh, it's a quietness and a slowness and to promote this and do this well we we need we need more space don't we (laughs) we need more time (laughs) and that's and that's very hard to find um 
But reading itself, like when I don't read, it's a bit like music, I sometimes think as well. You know, what goes first in my life when I'm stressed? Um, I actually sometimes can't put the radio on or music on because yeah. I'm still having to process my day. Um, and, you know, like chuck in, then you've had an argument at home and uh, or something's worrying you, like my mum at the moment. It's like, to just like factor in the freedom of music is really hard. Mm. Uh, but then the other thing that goes, and I, I'm a member of a book club, and this is just like a great book club. We go to a local cafe and they flip what they sort of, they serve coffees, but in the evening they serve cocktails. Um, and it's women of all ages. And we go along to talk about the book. And the last few occasions I've had to go because I love the support of this group so much. In fact, I would say it's, uh, it just makes my heart sing to go there. But we've made a rule in that book club. You've got to come if you haven't read the book because we didn't want any shame about yeah. like you, you can't come if you haven't read it. And now there's been a couple of times when I've gone and I haven't read the book because I haven't had time. And, um, and it's weird because when I read, I feel really comforted and it's, it is like a bit of meditation. Because it's almost like, and I'm not talking about reading for work because I read for work all the time. You know, I'm constantly reading stuff for work. Uh, but reading just for me, um, that goes quickly when I'm on the edge, you know. And we know, don't we? We've just had the mental health report. 81% of teachers, um, you know, are saying that, uh, you know, they've suffered poor mental health due to work. So it's like, oh. But it's weird. The more I read, when I am reading, for me, uh, the the better I feel. Um, so, in all of that, it, it it then made me think further that um, not only does reading give me comfort and soothe me personally, we know it's so critical for all of us because it gives knowledge. And um, Dr. Kia Bloomer, who's just basically audited the Scottish curriculum, because there's a big hoo-ha at the moment about the Scottish curriculum, uh, saying it's uh, got too many kind of vague skill descriptions. Okay. And um, Dr. Bloomer has analysed it, who actually was part of building it. So it's a bit, you know, it, it, that's, <laughs> that's a hard job to do, isn't it? But um, he's saying that it, need, it needs more recognition of um, knowledge in it you know and knowledge is power and you know skills <laughs> you get skills at the end of having loads and loads of knowledge you know knowledge is the pathway to skills um and then if you think about reading reading is so wonderful because not only does it give us knowledge it's even better than that it actually gives us wisdom yeah. and uh to get published or to just, you know, to all that investment in a book, it, the quality of books is, is much higher than the internet, isn't it? So that's why yeah. they have to be treasured uh, because, you know, in that place of stillness, w w we're getting wisdom. So, um, you know, 
characters can teach us so much, you know, respect. You know, we, we learn about diversity and difference. You've just been talking about that. Mm-hmm. But that wisdom we learn, we can put back into the world. So I suppose, no matter how stressed we are, finding space for ourselves because we'll find it soothing and uh, we've got to help children unlock that wisdom of, of books. Yeah, I think it's interesting thinking about not reading because you're stressed and actually we talked about what it is to be a reader on the uh, Teach, Sleep, Repeat podcast and yeah, sometimes we can be put off reading because we feel, I don't know, I think we make it something bigger in our mind. And I do, I do this myself where you kind of think you're aware of how, how little time or space you've got. Um, your brain might be full or your timetable might be busy. And instead of saying, well, what's the least I could do that we kind of overthink it, don't we? But when we step over that line and just turn one page we suddenly find ourselves just in it um James Clear who's the author of Atomic Habits is just just a massive best-selling book one of he talks about that when you're trying to build habits about it being what's the least you could do don't put too much pressure on yourself yeah um I sometimes do that when I go for a swim I really just want to jump straight into the jacuzzi but if I say I just do one length. I just do one length. And then by yeah. the time you've done one, you go, I'm here now. I can actually do 20 yeah, lengths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's that getting over the hump of it, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I um I think swimming's got a meditative quality. I, I really do. I think I know I think swimming and reading, there's no science behind this, folks. <laughs> this is just my weird aspect. Anybody want to research it? Go on. Put, no, put I, your hypothesis out there, Jay. There's a yeah. PhD on the horizon. <laughs> you must be joking. Oh, there's some Valium on the horizon, more like. <laughs> I'm on the me. edge. No, but I think I think swimming and reading are aligned. There's just there's something about it where you well, I suppose it's exercise, isn't it? You have to concentrate on the act of, um, for me, it's so, it does become meditation because, uh, again, this is, I've diagnosed myself, but I do think I'm a bit dyscalcular. So I actually have to count one, one, one as I'm doing, as I'm doing, um, old woman breaststroke, which is the longest neck With in the head world. Up here. Yeah. Because <laughs> I ain't washing my hair. Yeah. No, because my hairdresser said it might uh, make my split ends worse and they're quite bad anyway. Thanks, honey. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of thing you want to hear. I get that though, but because you are, you 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 can't just flick on your phone or sit about with that. You could you've you are engaged in the breathing yes. and the motion, aren't yes. you? And it, yeah. I find I quite do a lot of thinking at that yes. point. Yeah, because I'm not very good at switching off, but yeah. it's good at kind of uh, focusing in. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and I think swimming and read well, reading definitely gets you out of your head, doesn't it? You know, I think that is that yeah. is meditation, isn't it? It's like um, it's it is very calming because it it's not about you, you know. Yeah, it's not it's not about you. It's about others, and and that's mm. of course why we know it grows empathy. Um, 
And then when I was younger, I used to think smoking was meditation, but I realised that was bad for my health. But I do, I think like that deep breathing, it's your time, you've sat down. <laughs> I've given up now. But. It's not the right kind of deep breathing, Jane. <laughs> Jeez. But um, in my dreams, I've still got a fag on. You know, when I like in your dreams, when you've done something really dramatic or really had an argument, I've always, it always ends a bit like Grace, you know, when she uh, pulls on a fag and, you know, twists her, put it on the floor, stubs it Olivia out. Are you Olivia Newton-John? I am Olivia. I can see you in that outfit, sprayed on pants. Yeah. Oh, yes, Jay, you are the one that I want. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, dear. Please be more coherent than me. This is a lot of pressure on me to be coherent. What have you got that you're trying to sum up? And did you find it while you were swimming? Uh, no, I didn't find it whilst I was swimming, but I am going to talk about reading again. Surprise, surprise. Um, this is this my kind of thought path around this comes from um, Radio 4. I'm Ooh. not a radio, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a radio tour. I've been middle aged in my head for a long time. Yeah. Um, but uh, Julia Donaldson has done an episode of analysis on Radio 4. Have you heard it yet? I've heard this. I've heard this. Uh, I've not heard it, but I've heard about it and it's in my got to go and have a listen. Yeah. Great Teresa, listen. Yeah. And Teresa Kremin was uh, a guest on there, wasn't she? Yeah. 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 So it's, it's ha- half an hour and she's taken the question, can reading really improve your life? And apart from answering with yes, uh, <laughs> she's got sound bites with all kinds of different uh, different people on it. Um, so, yeah, I had a little listen. And like you said, it's great to hear some Reading for Pleasure heroes on there. Teresa is on there talking about her volitional reading research and kind of sharing all of the stuff that we shout out about uh, Sonia Thompson head teacher of St Matthew's research and support school in Birmingham uh, was on there um, talking about what a reading school looks like and I've been to that school and it is fantastic and uh, that was a, a couple of years ago at a pop-up reading rocks event so I have no doubt that they are even further on in their brilliant journey now so it's great to hear Sonia on there and Frank Cottrell Boyce who's just got a great voice to listen to hasn't he yeah is he on the list Jane yes he's not Irish (laughs) but you know oh he's on the list he's on I I love listening to him on on his podcast uh the the island of brilliant with uh, Nadia Shireen uh, if you've yeah. not listened to that podcast absolutely uh, smashing um, and he was talking about reading kind of giving you a map of the small pleasures in life and he talks about hot buttered toast and toad and and how that kind of gives value and you know happiness inside every time he has a bit of toast he talked about building the machine you didn't say hot buttered toad then did you or did you or toast or both (laughs) hot buttered toast Toast. i will enunciate (laughs) and it was toad of toad hall who was eating it oh i see got it yeah I need to slow down and, you know, make them. So he's talking about, about reading, building the machinery of happiness inside of you, which I thought was really nice. So it, it goes on to talk about the disparity in schools with librarians and, you know, Nick Gibbs saying it's up to an individual school to decide how you spend your money. Well, oh, shut up. Well, we haven't got the money to spend. Yes. Julia highlighted the fact that, you know, it's compulsory for prisons to... Uh, 
to yes. have a library. Yeah. Um, and also she talked like Ofsted are not there to uh, inspect libraries, which is uh, another issue, which yes. was talking about kind of reading in the media. And if we are kind of bookish folk with our children and we, 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 ca we can find it, we can find festivals, we can find where there are, you know, blogs and posts about it. If we are looking for it, we can find the people shouting out. Um, as she said, the Telegraph have committed to one, one children's book review a week. Okay, oh. that's great. But, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And Frank Cottrell-Boyce and Jennifer Horan had uh, some a programme across the summer on Radio 4 talking about children's books. So there's tiny, tiny shifts of movement. And They're little glimmers, aren't they? They're glimmers. They're coming through, aren't they? They are coming through, but we need to kind of kind of pull the curtain back, you yes, know. This, and, um, this, this is where I'm building up to my sentence, Jane. Yes, yeah, so, so Julia ends by saying, let's sing and dance about children's books to create the next generation of readers. Um, and she did talk about kind of, you know, we've got CBB story time um, and she talked maybe that we need to have, have it in the more... Um, Mainstream, in the mainstream. Yes. So yeah. my sentence is, you know, let's sing and dance about it. Um, so it sounds a little bit polite. I am with Julia, but I want to go one step further and go sod it. Yeah. Let's get noisy and raucous so all the neighbours can hear. Yeah, definitely. Because actually, if you're seeking it out, you can find it. But the people that we need to find it, yeah. are the people that aren't taking their children to the library. We need to normalise it. So yeah. I, I have previously shouted out about this on social media to not much avail, unfortunately. I don't know why the TV are not listening to me, um, but I've got I've got a four-step plan. Yeah. I look at Do I'm it. tapping the papers. Do it. And so these are these are my thoughts about where we should be stamping our feet to make sure that children's literature is right there, finding the people that need it, yeah. not needing to be gone look for. So I reckon breakfast TV. Loads of families have breakfast television on in the morning whilst they're getting ready to go out before the school run. Now we have seen BBC Breakfast have one or two uh, children's authors on of late and uh, maybe one or maybe two that are not celebrities because I think that's what we've got to be really weary of yeah. that it, we are given the vast array of the beautiful children's literature that, that's out there so number one I want to see some regular shout outs on breakfast television about great children's books yeah that's a great idea yeah. Number two, I'm going into the daytime telly. We've yeah. got uh, parents on shift patterns, parents who are part-time or parents who are full-time parents at home. They might have this morning on. Now, you know the way you get the kind of weekly roundup of soaps and yeah. they say this is this is what's going on. I'm up for that, Jane. I think you and I need to be on this morning yep. and we need to be shouting about a roundup 
of the children's books and kind of saying this is a great book it's great to read aloud and you might want to do this after it you might want to make this craft like real things that real families can do um who would really busy and it needs to be easy and accessible and not and almost like national discounts if you buy this book this week because we promoted it it's going to be this cheap in this yeah. place get your I mix was going on to say it about just saying to them go and get it from your local library yeah you know we need to yeah. make this completely accessible it's free yeah. you go yeah. to your local library if it's not on the shelf if you request it the library will get it in for yeah. you and yeah. kind of showcasing different books they have all kinds of that magazine style isn't it for those programs yeah yeah, yeah. here's here's the great things for christmas decorations here's the great great things for advent and they talk about all of those we can do that and we can chat and it's normalizing it it's getting into those homes that are not seeking it and we're slowly drip 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 it's normal so that's number two love that number three i'm still on the telly box yeah Um, they're all on the telly box because i think it's this that people who are not reading at home they're not going to have a copy of The Observer, are they? No. And look at the weekly roundup of books. They're not. We've got to invade where they are. That's what I'm talking about, being yeah. stamping our feet and making sure that people care. So uh, The One Show, it's it's on at that time. It captivates that family audience. I want to see some authors on there. And a particular suggestion is because – um, Rob Bidoff, who you know I'm a huge yeah. fan of Rob Bidoff, but that draw-along, and yes. in many of our virtual author events, the draw-along is captivating. Yes. Let's let's get some illustrators on, some fan dabby dozy ones, like Stephen Lenton, Sophie Hen, who I've yes. seen do brilliant draw-alongs. Um, yeah. yeah, let's get them on and, and just engage in as a family, share together, and it's normal, and it's drip, drip, drip. And we yeah. are just putting children's books out there. And then number four, this is yeah. the telly box. Yeah. But this is slightly different. I'm talking about soap operas. Yeah. So this is not a kind of advert, let's recommend that. This is about the normalising. So we're, we're used to product placement now. Yeah. And we, we might see the, the foodstuffs or the tech items. But let's talk about having books visible. So they they might not be talked about. It could be a character in the cafe who's just reading. Because I think that's really important that it's seen as an activity to do on the bus, in the cafe, yeah. in the yeah. in the background of the living room. And it yeah. can be different books. And imagine children kind of spotting the book and going, my teacher read that to us this week. And it's yeah. on Corrie, how exciting. Yeah. And that's kind of a, a little nugget of a, a, a book blether starter, isn't it? If they see something there, um, if they could just, you know, carry in. So I want to see some product placement in those soaps that families are watching together so it's the actual products so we can see some of those books and not just the popular ones like different ones but also the act of reading that is normalized as well so there's my four stage plan I'm waiting for people to get in touch I'm ready to action boom I love that that is so critical and if you and if you just think how our heart sinks when kids have got their faces in a phone 
and then but if they have their face in a book that's that's the game changer that's the the wonder of words that's the wisdom that's the getting the message out there we know uh that children who read are going to earn more money when they grow up uh we know they're going to be happier they're going to have more empathy and if like me it's very very soothing when your brain is on the edge i mean great ideas heather if you don't get an email after that from somebody, <laughs> somebody who's like the director of Loose Women, I don't know, who are we? <laughs> oh, yeah, we could go on there, couldn't we? Very happy to shout about it. But do, do you not think sometimes when you're out and about and you'll see a family um, and the kids have got books or, you know, the adults as well, um, there's part of me that wants to go, woo, woo, or yeah. give them a round of applause. And, yeah. you know, but actually... Uh, I want that to be more normal so that I'm not impressed by them. It's yeah. just what people do. Um, you know, when you're taking your kids out for food, don't automatically just whip out the tablet. Yeah. You know, I really don't have a problem with technology. You know, I, I love technology, um, but it's about that balance, isn't it? And, and space. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so exciting. Yeah. Mmm, lots of food for thought there. But um, yeah, and lots of really practical things. I think that we can do as teachers as well, you know, uh, you know, you see it like I see it, you know, schools that have um, a little shelf outside the classroom door. This is what Mrs. C's reading this week. But but actually, um, some some schools ask me about the book I'm reading at the moment. Teachers, you know, who take a book out on playground duty. Yeah. you know and they might have a couple of books in a bag and like hand them out you know they're just that we're all everything's an opportunity uh to Definitely. promote language just one more opportunity which i just thought about then is um the john lewis christmas advert yeah this year i've not made my mind up on what i think about that yet but the um venus flytrap yeah there's that they've partnered with nosy crow who have uh, published a tie-in book but it's not you know sometimes tie-in with film stuff just has that kind of disney-esque edge to it yeah. it looks like one of nosy crow's beautiful gorgeous books i've not seen a copy yet um because we as booksellers can't get it you have to go to john lewis or waitrose but i think that's a lovely opportunity isn't it for children who will have seen that advert yeah to engage with that book and you know blether about this story of it and the difference between the book and the yeah it's a good book the, I've seen yeah, it but... actually the book's good and and that is that is an, a, a nice mode isn't it you know yeah. uh, something that's out there in the on the tv in media and there's a link back to a book because um you know th this is the way to talk to the community now yeah Definitely. for sure yeah mm. oh brilliant well it's Have guest got... time Jane oh go on then tell me all about them Jane, may I introduce our wonderful guest to you? So, so excited. We are, we are really, really lucky. Beaming in all the way from America, we have Dr. Timothy Rosinski with us. He is a professor of literary, literacy education at Kent State University and director of its award-winning reading clinic. He has written over 200 articles and has authored, co-authored and edited over 50 books 
curriculum programs, reading education. And he's particularly interested in reading fluency and word study um, and reading uh, for elementary and middle grades and readers who struggle. So we are delighted to welcome you, Tim, to the Teacher Squad podcast. And we are really, really keen to talk to you about those things today. Well, I'm very glad to be here. Uh, I wish we could be in person, but um, this is the next best thing. Um, we can get together whenever we need to virtually. I do make, need to make one correction to your introduction, uh, Heather. Um, as of June 1st, I, I am retired from the university. Uh, I do a lot of um, <clears throat> work independently, but uh, I'm now Professor Emeritus. My wife and I now have a more important job. We have seven grandchildren to um, look over, so... We're having a ball doing that. Oh, yeah. You've got to spend time reading gorgeous children's literature to them, I guess. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> That's definitely the most important job. Um, let's jump right into fluency then. So um, we've we've got your mega book of fluency. Thank you, Scholastic, for sending us copies of those. And right at the beginning, um, you define fluency. Um, oh, Jane's holding up another book there as well. Um, <laughs> love it, love it. <laughs> and I, I think um, here in the UK, I don't know about across where you are in America, sometimes there's a slight misunderstanding about what fluency is. In fact, this week I posted on my social channels to ask what um, our community thought fluency was, and there were some discrepancies in there. So for you, what is the you know, a real definition of fluency and how important is it for educators to have that firm understanding of what fluency is? That, that's a that's a great question to start off with, uh, Heather. Um, yeah, actually, here in the States, we've experienced the same thing. Um, one of my first um, introductions to fluency was an article that appeared in the journal, The Reading Teacher, and it was entitled Fluency, the Neglected Goal of the Reading Curriculum. Um, back then, it was more neglected. Now, I think it's a bit mis misunderstood in, in a variety of places. For me, fluency, um, first of all, is I, I love the metaphor of a bridge. It's a link between uh, word decoding, which, of course, is phonics or however you want to name it, but the ability to decode a word and, of course, the, the goal of reading comprehension. Uh, and for many students, they normally developing students, if you will, they develop that bridge on their own, but it's our children who, um, who who often struggle, who have difficulty with that. One of the reasons why it's a bit misunderstood, I mean, I, mean, I hate to say that it's completely misunderstood, but <laughs> it's made up of two sub-competencies. One is uh, what we call automaticity, which is the ability to recognize words uh, automatically. I noticed the, the sun, and you can tell how... Now, early in the morning, this is the sun is just coming in out of my window over there. I should go turn it, uh, pull down the shade. But uh, if you don't mind my shadow you're, showing up in the back here. That's <laughs> fine. I feel but, like you're shining a yeah. light on fluency for us. It's almost metaphorical. There you Keep go. Going. God, <laughs> fluency is shining on me right now. <laughs> but automaticity, that's one of the components of fluency. It's the ability to recognize words automatically, effortlessly. Uh, without even thinking uh, about the words that we are encountering. Uh, and I think the best um, example of automaticity is bus. 
You know, whenever we read, how often do we have to stop and sound out a word or think about the meaning to a word? Hardly ever. Most of the words are what we call sight words. And the significance of that is we have a limited amount of mental energy up here, up here, if you want to call it that. And if we have to use too much of that energy to decode the words, then we get around that more important task, comprehension, and we don't comp- comprehend as well as we should. It's not that we don't have the abilities we used at all of decoding the words. I, Up until I retired, I used to teach a course here at the university called the Teaching of Phonics. And the first thing I would tell my students is the goal of phonics instruction is to get students not to use phonics. <laughs> uh, if you have to use phonics when you're reading, you know, you're in big trouble because you're stopping in every third or fourth word, sounding it out. And yeah, you can do it, but there's a price to be paid. And the price, of course, is comprehension. So that's the one element. And the, by the way, the way we measure automaticity is usually through reading speed. Uh, we have kids read for one minute and we count the number of words they read correctly and then uh, compare it against some norms. And another area of misunderstanding then is is that if this is a way that we measure automaticity, the way we teach it is to get out the old stopwatch and get children to read faster from one day to the next. And, and of course, uh, it doesn't work that way. We want children to become fast readers the way you and I became fast readers, which is we just read a lot, right? Uh, you read a lot, you develop automaticity, and speed comes along. Uh, there, I still remember a couple of years ago, we had two young children, I, about eight-year-olds, we call them second graders here in the States. Uh, they came to our reading clinic because they had uh, were experiencing some difficulties. So we had them sit down and um, we asked them, uh, or the, there was a clinician working with, her, with, with these girls, uh, and they asked them uh, you know, to read a passage so we could observe how they were doing. Both of these children looked up at the teacher or the clinician and said, uh, am I supposed to read this as fast as I can? Now, where's that coming from? It's all this emphasis on speed. I, I don't care how fast kids read. I want them to be automatic. Sometimes, you know, even though we're all automatic readers, you know, as adults, there are sometimes we need to slow down. And uh, so it's not about speed. It's automaticity. So that's the first part. And the second part of fluency is this thing called prosody. Um, it's a linguistic term. I prefer the, the term expression. I think about somebody who's a fluent reader or fluent speaker, it's not somebody who talks fast or reads fast. It's somebody uses their voice to make meaning. They get loud, soft, fast, slow. They have dramatic pauses. And in doing so, what they're doing is they're reflecting the meaning of the text. So, if, you know, if you think about fluency as that bridge, you know, it truly is. Uh, uh, the automaticity component links uh, is the link to, uh, to word decoding. And then the prosody component uh, is the link to uh, uh, comprehension. And you need both. We can't focus on one or the other. It's You have to focus on both. And that's the challenge uh, for teachers. I, I feel like I'm disappearing here. and The sun is moving. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully it'll be, it'll be gone in a few minutes. It's going to get above our uh, my window here. But uh, um, it's a kind of a str- I've never had a, this experience before here. But that, that's it. And, and, and so the confusion, or I say misunderstanding, comes from the idea that it's only one thing or the other, and it's not. We, we, we need to teach both. And, of course, we need to teach phonics and decoding. We need to teach comprehension as well. That's what makes teaching so challenging, uh, because yeah. you have to teach all those things. You have to be a scientist, I often say. But at the same time, I also say you have to be an artist. Uh, Absolutely. You know, teaching is both an art and science. And 
we've been focusing, at least here in the States, I'm not sure how it is in the UK, uh, but in the States, we've been focusing on the science. And I think what we've been neglecting the artful part of teaching reading. Mm. Uh, and uh, I think we're going to um, pay the consequences of that eventually. Uh, so anyways, that's yeah. what fluency is to me. And I think uh, most scholars accept that, you know, a pretty good approximation of what fluency is. I think you're right about the speed and teachers can get hooked on that because, and you, you mentioned this, that it's measurable. I think sometimes in teaching we get a bit, we lose some of the things that are difficult to measure in a quantifiable way. Um, right. But it's really important to remember both of those aspects, isn't it? Yeah, yep. I, lo yep. I love uh, that. Yeah. And um, in England, uh, our standards and testing agency, uh, Tim has said that around 90 words per minute, you know, is a good indicator of sufficient fluency. Um, but actually, I think you've put in there a lot of insight that it's, um, you know, of course, we want to see smooth and natural reading, but actually mm -hmm. that rhythm uh, can be slow ineffective right right yeah. right right yeah. yeah um just to comment on that uh 90 words per minute uh that's pretty good for a second grade or an eight-year-old but you know as children get older we get faster so the norms should actually uh change as children get get, get older and i think you reflect that uh in the book that uh, that we, that was sent to you uh, yeah. there, there you go. <laughs> you yeah. have it, Heather. Yeah, yeah. And then the, the other part of it, too, is, you know, how do you measure prosody? How do you measure expression? And um, the best way is uh, just listening to children. I mean, teachers are, are experts at listening to kids read, and they can tell whether or not fluency is a problem. And when you can use a rubric that gives you some guidance in your listening to children, um, you know, it gives you a really good way of uh, assessing uh, that other component. You know, sometimes when you read fast, you lose the prosody, uh, and we often see that with our with our children. There, you know, we call it NASCAR reading, uh, reading here in the U.S. Um, you know, speed reading, and you know, you're just going from point A to point B. Uh, no sense of expression, no pausing, no phrasing, any of that. And of course, uh, uh, you you've accomplished one element of fluency, but not the other. And of course, you you haven't caught, crossed that bridge to comprehension. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Such a it's the coming together that is really striking there. In in and as you explain it, like a bridge, you know, I can really visually see that actually the sometimes the emphasis can go a bit awry. And I think because teachers are under pressure, you know, you I often see teachers talking quicker because <laughs> there's so much to do. Yeah, and it's yeah, just like yeah. this, we're losing the slow aren't we sometimes in education right, exactly exactly and, and you're you're right you're right uh uh jane um teachers are under pressure and you know if you're going your your job is dependent upon whether or not you your children hits a certain mark in terms of words correct per minute you know i i, I understand teachers who want to do that let's try to get our kids to read faster but uh the best way to learn to read faster i think is just to read a lot you know lots yes. of practice yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, practice makes perfection. Um, Tim, no. I really want your expertise here. And uh, I suppose this interface is what we've just been saying about feeling kind of quite busy and stressed. <laughs> you know, if if you're not an expert or, you, you, you know, you're new into teaching, you know, if there was one strategy 
you would recommend uh, for teaching and promoting fluency? You know, mm-hmm. what what do you think that is as, as a piece of advice? Do we have an hour and a half to talk about that one? <laughs> Three days, maybe. <laughs> well, let, let, let me give me a few minutes on this. First of all, um, a, a great way of developing fluency is um, something we call repeated reading, where you ask children to read something multiple times until they can read it well, until they can read it fluently. What the research tells us is that when children do that, not only do they get better on that piece that they practice, but there's a carryover effect. When they move on to a new text they've never seen before, uh, there's vestiges of improvement on that new text. So this repeated reading, you know, is really at the heart of developing fluency. Uh, the question is, how do you actually get children to read something repeatedly? You know, do you say, read something five or six times and tell me when you're done? Uh, I think uh, in the U.S. and the U.K., you're going to have children rolling their eyes at you. Uh, and this is where the artfulness comes in. Why would anybody want to uh, read something repeatedly? And to me, the answer is performance. If, you're, if you've ever been in a play or if you've recited a poem at a poetry slam, you probably rehearsed. And if, you know, if you didn't, you probably wish you had. Uh, uh, there. <laughs> uh, another name for repeated reading, an artful name, is rehearsal. Uh, and, you know, if you think about it, when you rehearse, say, a poem or if you're in a song or if you are in a, a play, you're not rehearsing to read fast. You're rehearsing to create a, uh, um, a meaningful performance for an audience. Now, okay, that said then, what kinds of texts are meant to be uh, performed? Uh, well, we have poetry, we have uh, song lyrics, and we have reader's theater uh, speeches from history. Uh, we, we often do dialogues, monologues, but the one in particular that really, uh, strikes a, a note with me is poetry, poetry for children. Um, poetry is relatively short, so kids can learn to read a poem pretty quickly. The rhythm, the rhyme, uh, all of those elements within poetry make them very accessible to children and, uh, makes, make, they can be successful. In our reading clinic, well, before I retired, one of, one, one of the things we did, we worked with children for about 90 minutes a day, uh, and the goal was to get children to read something well. Well, what can you read well? Uh, learn to read well in a matter of maybe an hour or so, a poem. So, you know, we went through this process of every day a new poem, and um, we'd start with the teacher reading the poem to the child, child following along, and then reading it together chorally. Uh, and giving a chance for the child to practice for a few minutes. And then what happened when the, when the student was able to read it well, uh, we had a parent sitting outside the, uh, the classroom and the child would go out to the outside and perform for that parent. And of course, the parent, you know, just made a big fuss over them, told them what a great job they did. And, and of course, gave them a sticker and sent them back to the classroom. That made such a difference with, with the children. They, you know, they felt successful. They, they, you know, prior to that, these are children who were in, in school and they weren't meeting much success. And of course, um, they weren't enjoying reading and liking reading. And of course, they, then they started to avoid reading. Uh, so I really have a, 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 a soft place in my heart for, uh, for poetry and song too. Uh, in our reading clinic, we, we sing a song every day, making sure the words are always in front of the, the children so that they're reading. They're not just memorizing the text itself. Um, 
Could I could I add a a, a bit of a story uh, here? Yeah. Um, okay. Somebody else you may want to interview um, in the coming months or so is uh, a lady a woman by the name of Lois Letchford, L-E-T-C-H-F-O-R-D. Perhaps you've heard of. Uh, she's from Australia, and she met. Uh, she now lives in the U.S., but she wrote a book called Reversed. Uh, it's a great book. It's about her story of how she had to teach her son to read. And I'm going to give you a quick summary of that. Uh, living in Australia, her youngest son, Nicholas, went to school, first grade, uh, initial year, and was actually <laughs> uh, kicked out of first grade. <laughs> well, not because he was a behavior problem, but the teachers said that he was unteachable. And so it w- <laughs> I guess you can do that in Australia, at least several years ago. Anyways, it was up to her to teach her child how to read. One of the things she noticed about Nicholas was that he had the gift of rhyme, which is not unusual. Children, you know, pick that up quite easily. Well, if you, if you know rhymes, then guess what? You can learn poems. So she started teaching her son using poetry. First, uh, they found poetry. Then she would write poetry. Eventually, Nicholas wrote his own poetry. And that was the way he became, he went from being dyslexic to being a, a competent reader. Well, I shouldn't give it away, but the end of the story is Nicholas went on and graduated from Oxford University in, 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 in England uh, with, a, with a, a PhD or a doctoral degree in mathematics. And is, wow. isn't that such an inspiring story? But it yeah. shows the value uh, when we can get children to be successful. And, you know, he felt successful. And, of course, that just led to more and more success. And, and um, we, meet, we need more stories like that for our children. And I, and I think uh, poetry and song are, you know, the other part of that, these are often the neglected texts, at least here in the U.S. You know, we're so, in, uh, we're so involved in narrative stories and informational texts that these rhythmical texts like poetry and song often get pushed off to the side. And I think we're, we're missing a great opportunity to help children. Definitely. I think one of the words that stood out in your book was that your use of the word authentic. And I, I, I've, I've jotted things as you were talking then about the art of it and it, it being real for them and a real purpose. So thank you for yeah. that. That's really great. Yeah. Well, I, well, I hope you get a chance to, to, interview Lois. She's really a great person and uh, perhaps you could even get her son on uh, as well. But uh, oh, wow. yeah, it, it really is this notion of universe now. Maybe it will happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Maybe you could do the both of the two of us. We just wrote an article uh, for that's going to be in a, a blog. It's called uh, the, it's, it's the Rob Review, R-O-B-B Review. It's a blog by a principal uh, in the state of Virginia and it'll be probably published in January or February. But uh, we wrote it together, and it's about her her uh, her, her, her uh, work uh, with poetry, especially with her son Nicholas. Uh, there, but if I could pick up on that notion of authenticity, you know, if you look in schools, particular, uh, I'm, I'm talking mostly about here in the U.S. because I'm not all that familiar with U.K., but I'm sure you're, okay. you have much uh, probably much a similar experience. Um, the things we ask children to do in school don't seem anything like what happens uh, outside of school, you know, reading lists of words, nonsense words, and so on. And, you know, I know there's a place for that, but, you know, shouldn't our goal as as teachers be to try to make uh, what happens in school reflect what happens in real life? That's uh, John Dewey said that many years ago. 
And, and so, you know, think about, you know, what kinds of texts are, you know, that are authentic and certainly poetry, song, as well as stories are uh, fit that um, as, as opposed to these, you know, quote unquote, engineered texts uh, that are written for the purpose of, of uh, um, practicing a phonetic element that uh, we call them decodables. And um, yeah. they've gotten better over the years, but uh, still, I, I, I really like, uh, well, you know what? I like to call poetry both decodable and predictable. Uh, it's predictable because poetry has a certain pattern to it, which makes it easy to learn. But also poetry, you know, if you think about it, at least especially for children, uh, contain rhymes. Well, uh, rhymes or word families, some people call them our phonograms, those are phonetic elements. So when you, you know, go starlight, star bright, first star I see tonight, you're practicing that IGHT word family in a very authentic way rather than, you know, in some, um, as I said, engineered kind of text. Again, again, I'm not putting down decodables. They're certainly important, but uh, let's not forget the, the real kinds of texts that are out there for children. And, and, and I like that, both decodable and predictable at the same time. And fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what's more fun than be able to recite a poem or sing a song every morning? Yeah, we we uh, we often call it enjoyment in England. We like people are really yeah. kind of don't like the word fun for whatever reason. <laughs> but you know, kids have to be motivated, right. don't they, Tim? You know, and I think sometimes you know, if you look at the psychology of the learning brain, um, you know, you, I think sometimes um, it can get very kind of process driven, and it's like. You know, if you're not motivated, yeah. if you're not enjoying it, and, and children who enjoy language are going to be more successful at language. Exactly. Um, I just think there needs to be more work there. English. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Okay. Oh, I, I didn't hear your last comment there, Jane. I was just saying that um, we, I think we need to um, put more thought into the um, interconnections between being motivated and excited to learn oh. because, um, yes, we want phonics fast, furious and fun, but f fluency, you know, is that bridge that then drives forward comprehension right. and uh, we have to tangle in that uh, the motivational factor to kind of unlock you know, the prized yes. and precious possessions that are words and, and the wonders exactly. that they can give back to us, how they can soothe and comfort us and help us understand uh, and have empathy with others and so on and so forth. And just actually, you know, we know that, uh, you know, readers are happier, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. You know, the problem with that is that, you know, you could measure fluency by having kids read and counting the number of words. But how do you measure motivation and, and, and enjoyment? That's a little bit more challenging, but you, you're absolutely right. That needs to be right at the heart of all our instruction, developing that uh, love of this wonderful language we share, you know, English. And uh, how can we how can we do that? Uh, and that's the notion of authenticity comes back over and over again. I uh, think... Um We've, we've touched on a few times here about um, slowing down. Do you f think that often we, we're in a rush to get from reading out loud to silent reading and that's where we miss some of the opportunities for developing fluency? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, the uh, conventional wisdom oftentimes is, just like you said, Heather, get, get students out of oral reading, get them into silent reading. Uh, but... 
there have been people who argue that there's no such thing as silent reading. Even when we read silently, uh, our, apparently our vocal cords are still, there's still movement out there to indicate that there's some vestige of uh, oral reading going on. But think of all the texts that are meant to be read orally. You know, if, if it's meant to be performed, uh, you know, it, it's meant to be read orally. Uh, and of course, um, <laughs> I often uh, challenge when I give lectures to uh, teachers around the country here, I challenge them to find me a poem poem that's meant to be read silently. If you can't, I'll, I'll send you a check for $20. Um, I, I, they may exist, but I'm not. there's not very many of them. Poem, poetry is meant to be read out loud. Re, uh, a reader's theater script is meant to be read out loud. Songs are meant to be sung out loud. So, you, you know, let's not forget. And, and what we know is that it's a great way of this connection between oral reading and 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 overall reading proficiency is pretty strong. Uh, here in the uh, uh, U.S., we have uh, our our Department of Education does this. They did a study several years ago on reading fluency, oral. We call it the oral reading fluency study. And what they found was that students who read orally. Um, <clears throat> With all those elements we talked about, with a good good accuracy, uh, prosody, automaticity, when they read silently, they tended to be our best comprehenders. And every time there was a drop in uh, in those elements, those oral reading elements, there was a drop in comprehension as well. Now it's we, we need both uh, silent and oral, but uh, don't for, don't lose sight of the the great oral reading that is out there. Think of all the uh, you know one of the things I often do with kids. Um, is speeches uh, here in the U.S. It's November. We're doing this right now. One of our famous speeches is President Lincoln. He gave the Gettysburg Address, where he says, "Government of the people, by the people, for the people." Can you imagine reading that as a like a robot, <laughs> word by word? But you know, in the U.K., think of all the the, the great speeches that you have. You know, uh, Winston Churchill's blood, sweat, and tears speech. What a great way to connecting to uh, English history. Uh, and at the same time, developing, you know, fluency with students. Uh, there's, there's so many great opportunities that are just out there for the picking. And yet um, we seem to ignore them in many, many ways. I think yeah. they need that voice in their mind as well, don't they, actually? Yeah. And it's getting that explicitly across to children that when, yes. when I read, it's this I can hear myself as if I yeah. were reading it aloud to a class right. with all that expression and intonation. Um, Jane, you Most were going to say that. Yeah, yeah you, you hear yourself. And you're not going to hear yourself if, if you never get a chance to read orally with good expression. So, you know, that leads the way to actually when you read silently, that voice in your head is still there. Yeah. yeah, and I think it um, as well, uh, you know, I don't want to be uh, depressing, but I do think COVID has hurt children in that regard because they've yeah. so much of their life, their small little lives in terms of time, um, has been not been able to be surrounded and immersed in uh, powerful retellings and poetry and language mm -hmm. and um, right. also not being able to see a mouth moving or just how yeah. grown-ups mm -hmm. get their mouths around words and kind of mm -hmm. just that all the, that important work so I do think right. there is a lot to do uh, in the classroom and we've got to put um oracy kind of center stage um I'm so um enthralled by everything you say um 
Tim, but I know it's not just fluency that you're into. You are really fascinated by word study. Um, can you tell mm-hmm. me more about that as well? Okay. Well, I'll just back up to uh, one of your earlier comments there, Heather. Um, you're, you're right. COVID uh, really uh, played a number on, on our children. Um, they were alone. Uh, you know, uh, one, one of the, a way of developing fluency also is what we call uh, assisted reading, where you read with somebody, with a partner. Um, in the UK, you have uh, Dr. Keith Topping, who develops a thing called paired reading, uh, where a child sits with a, tra- with a parent and reads out loud together, or um, choral reading, reading as a group, you know, developing that sense of community. Uh, in our reading clinic, you know, we start every day, we sing a song, uh, uh, Coralie as a group. If those children who are not very good readers, they're, bene- they're uh, gaining benefit from, you know, those, those children and the teacher who are better, better readers. So it really is, it's, we need to bring back that sense of community because we lost it during the COVID years. And certainly we can find ways of making reading uh, a communal activity. Uh, choral reading, choral singing, uh, readers' theater scripts, where you have a little company of players reading a script, and so on. So, yeah, that's, that's a great point. We we need to find re, re uh, discover that for our students. Um, yeah, I love words. I, I call myself a lexophile. Somebody lex lex. It's a lex refers to words, and file, you know, is a means love. You know, uh, the lover of words. You know, if I'm I'm an Anglophile. I love things English. If you're a Francophile, you love things French. But um, yeah, word study in many of our classrooms here in the U.S., you know, is, is kind of—I hate to say it—but it's it's not very interesting. And, and we can make uh, uh, you know word study interesting for our children uh, uh, in many 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 ways. The the one thing I uh, mention is um, uh, games. Um, have you ever, you know, noticed all the games that we play as adults that are word games, Scrabble, Boggle, Balderdash, Wheel of Fortune? Do you do Wordle there? Yes, in, uh, yes. In okay, okay. Uh, I'm hooked on it. I, I stay up to midnight so I can play the next uh, the next uh, game. <laughs> uh, but if you and I like to play games and so many of these games are word games, why would children? And, and of course, the answer is yes, of course, uh, they're and and of course, so one of the things I've challenged myself is to try to find ways of making word study more game-like for kids. And by the way, one other thing to mention is if you play a game regularly, like Wordle or Words with Friends or whatever, you tend to get better at it. And we have a special name for it when you get better at something. It's called learning, right? <laughs> so, so one of the things I I I. Did was I there was a there was a research piece that came out about twenty years ago, uh, Bruce McCandless and Isabel Beck and some other colleagues on what they called word building intervention, and they they it was basically some people call these word chains, where you know you go from one word like uh, uh, okay okay you got it right there uh, <laughs> you got the word stop uh, take away a letter to make the opposite of bottom top and and that that sort of thing. So and what they found in this study was. That children who were in this intervention made greater gains in phonological awareness, word decoding, and reading comprehension. You know, if you can decode the words, you're more likely to understand what it is that you're reading. Well, I took that idea and I did what teachers do. I tweaked it. You know, I, I didn't invent anything new. I just said, oh, okay, how, how can we turn this into a game? 
so what I did was I went from um, uh, one, uh, you know, uh, the first word in this word ladder or word change and the last word somehow go together. And, um, it, 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 you know, so it, it becomes a bit of a game for children. Can we do one right now? I've, I, I, here's oh, one I know I by heart. I think I might be rubbish at this, but yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we'll do it quickly here. Uh, we'll start with the word planet. Okay. So the word planet, and I usually have children write this down too. Uh, it's a, a celestial object. Okay. So you guys ready? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Take away a letter from planet uh, to make um, a vehicle that flies in the sky. That would be a? Plane. plane. <laughs> okay, good. Take away a letter from plane to make a word that uh, means to prepare. Plan. Uh, plan, okay. Yeah. Take away another letter to make a utensil that you fry fish in. That would be a? Pan. Take pan. Away pan, pan, okay. Change the vowel in pan to make a uh, small metal object that holds two pieces of cloth together. Pin. Change the vowel. Pin, okay. Change a letter in pin to make a <laughs> religious term for a bad deed. That would be a... Sin. Sin, okay. Change a pin to make a kind of drink. I missed that instruction. Say that again. Change, change one gin. letter in sin gin. Obviously to make gin. a kind of drink. <laughs> oh, Jane. Obviously, Jane. Did you say Jane? Oh, Jane. <laughs> Obviously, you know, you, I know you British like your gin and tonic. No, that's not what I mean. Change the last letter to make a very tiny drink. Sin to sip. Sip. Yes, okay, sip. sip. Right. All right. Uh, <laughs> I like what Damn. you're thinking, though. It's a little early in the morning for my. Uh, gin and tonic. I want gin. All right. Um, <laughs> where are we? We're on. Uh, so, okay, we're, we're, we'll finish. Three, four more words. Take a letter. Take uh, take sip. Change the last letter to make what you're doing in your chair. You sit, sit. Okay. Change a letter in sit to make what a ball player does with um, a cricket bat or a baseball bat. They make a hit. What they they hit. Okay. Yeah. Change a letter in hit to make what you wear on your head when the weather is poor. Hat. That would hat. be a hat. Okay. Change a letter and add a letter. Add a letter to hat uh, to make what your furnace needs to produce when the weather gets cold. You need more. Heat. Heat. Add a letter. Heat. Okay. Add a letter to heat to make something my cardiologist checks on me every year. That would be heart. my heart. Okay. <laughs> Two more. Add a, okay. Here's, here's a hard one. Add a letter to heart uh, to make a fancy fireplace. Half. Half. All right. Excellent. That's a, that's a hard one for kids because many of them yeah. do not know what that word is. Okay. Here's the last word. Take away, take away one letter from hearth. To make a word that goes with our first word. Planet to Earth. Take away a letter from Earth. Earth. Yeah, planet yeah. Earth. Oh, so I you're love all that. The full circle-ness <laughs> so. of that. I love that. If, if I'm a yeah. bit hot and sweaty. Like to figure out what that last word is going to be. Uh, we passed, there. Jane. And, we're all right. Yeah, I think <laughs> our, listeners do check out the, these, the word letters yeah. for fluency books. Um, and they're from yeah. different ages and Thank they've you. been edited by um, Hearts for Learning, which do a lot of great work yeah. here um, on Fluency. And we, yeah. we've got um, somebody yeah. from their team who's going to come on the podcast in, a, in the future oh, as well. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Penny, they're, they're Penny fantastic for people to check out. We'll put yeah. the link in, yeah. the, in the show notes. Oh, well, that was Thank fun. You. Yeah. A bit you know, stressful. The problem was, though, you guys have a different spelling, slightly different spelling system than us. 
here in the States, uh, you know, Australia, England, and so on. So yeah, we had to actually create a new book uh, that reflects more British spelling. Uh, yeah, there, yeah. And that's what you, that's what you were showing though the more British version of the word letters, but but it is yeah. fun, isn't it? I, I yeah. saw you guys smiling the whole time. Oh, I was and smiling. Nice it's <laughs> yeah. a bit of it's like a puzzle, right? Yeah, and, my book's you know, going over to America. We're practicing, yeah, we're practicing spelling. We're it's practicing great. decoding, and because I, I was giving you the meaning, we're talking meaning of the of the words. We're talking about building vocabulary all at the same time in a way that only takes a few minutes, and it's a lot of fun for children. And yeah, teachers too. So, yeah. thank you um, for giving me that shout out. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Tim, it's been really wonderful. And actually, um, this is such a ground. There's a groundswell movement about fluency, and um, you know, a, we've we've done a really good job in England with um, phonics, uh, but we recognise it's not the only answer and we we are crying out for kind of meshing together you know as you say that bridge from being good at phonics how do we get them over the line to be good comprehenders and uh, so your work is very very vital actually and really interesting to us uh, you've been utterly no, wonderful um, yeah I was just sorry I interrupted you there to say that I'm trying to get my book well it's we're in the process of getting the right stuff um, over to America so we're just chucking out all the s's and putting z's in so <laughs> z's z's okay well looking forward to it that'll, that'll yeah. be great that'll be great so uh, if, if you don't mind, uh, Heather and, and Jane, uh, put my email address in the show notes. If anybody has questions or thoughts or insights, I, I do try to respond to folks uh, who send me uh, questions and thoughts. So uh, I'm happy to uh, be, be available for anybody who uh, who would like to. Great. And I prefer email versus text messages. <laughs> That is Thank so you so much for joining us. It's been Thank uh, you guys. an Thanks awesome for pleasure, as Jane guys. said, and very insightful. I think lots of our listeners yeah. are going to find yeah. that really, really useful. Thank you. Thank too. you. Appreciate it. Thank you again for all the for all you do, and for all the teachers in UK and all around the world who you know they they put their heart out every single day for the benefit of children. Oh, how did you feel about doing a word ladder, Heather? <laughs> Slightly under pressure. We did it. We managed. Yeah. Yeah. Hearth. Hearth. <laughs> I was like, what? How do you pronounce that? Uh, Hannick. <laughs> it was good, though. It's good fun. I thought that was a really useful interview. To me, two kind of things stood out. We were talking about um, assessing those things that are not kind of numeric. Yeah. About actually our trust in teachers and teacher assessments and maybe that's not quite where it was or it should be and yeah. we need to make sure that we've got that so that teachers can assess those the full picture of fluency yeah. um, and also a big word for me was just to slow down yeah. yeah oh for sure he was really wonderful to talk to um and uh yeah how you know um this might go on youtube we never know if we're on youtube or not but how the sun was glimmering across his face as it kind of rose in the sky that was just so wonderful just it to was. yeah uh to watch the sun on the other side of the world um yeah. right uh wonder of words i want to um right i could kick myself basically because Last week we turned 10 and yeah. um, I feel like 
it's the story of my life. I mean, I was five <laughs> days late. Um, you know, that was my due date. I was five days late. And ever since I've been playing catch up. So um, that's my excuse. <laughs> did you miss a 10 opportunity? I did. So I'm going to rewind, rewind. <laughs> Are we going to, um, I want to reference the 10 actually, because as that happened, I was like, oh, I wish I'd have known. I wish I was good at numbers because um, <laughs> I've, um, and, and you might know this poem. Um, it's called On Turning Ten by Billy Collins. And um, and between the ages of four and 10 around the world, you know, this is when children uh, learn to read and enter the most exciting learning adventure of their lives and discover who they might become. And along the way, they're going to fight all manner of monsters and dragons and bullies <laughs> to discover who they are. Um, this poem is, um, and we've all felt it, um, and it's what I've often said to my kids, don't grow up, don't grow uh. up, you know, please don't grow up. Um, but it's when you do start growing up that you start realising the world isn't as nice as you thought it was and as you get older it gets a little bit harder and this poem by Billy Collins is that sort of recognition that oh it, it's not it's not as easy it's not going to be as sweet and as adorable and he started feeling this this is a this is a moment to capture oh I'm 10 now so it's called on turning 10 the whole idea of it makes me feel like I'm coming down with something Something worse than any stomachache or the headaches I get from reading in bad light. A kind of measles of the spirit, a mumps of the psyche, a disfiguring chicken pox of the soul. You tell me it's too early to be looking back. And that is because you have forgotten the perfect simplicity of being one and the beautiful complexity introduced by two. But I can lie on my bed and remember every single digit. At four, I was an Arabian wizard and I could mm -hmm. make myself invisible by drinking a glass of milk a certain way. And at seven, I was a soldier. And at nine, a prince. But now, I'm mostly at the window watching the late afternoon light. Back then, it never fell so solemnly against the side of my treehouse and my bicycle never leaned against the garage as it does today and all the dark blue speed drained out of it. This is the beginning of sadness, I say to myself as I walk through the universe in my sneakers. It's time to say goodbye to my imaginary friends. Time to turn the first big number. It seems only yesterday I used to believe there was nothing under my skin but light. If you cut me, I would shine. But now, if I fall upon the sidewalks of life, I skin my knees, I bleed. Oh, don't grow up, Heather. Oh, I say that to my daughter all the time. Stop growing. And she goes, I can't. Oh, oh, that was great, Jane. That mm. was really good. I hope you've got some poetry because 
Dr. Timothy Rosinski loves poetry, so I hope you have. Well, Jane, I'm not one to disappoint. Good. Um, and I have, it, it's actually quite apt, since as the light was uh, pouring in on Tim as uh, he was recording with us. And I've got this little book, I'm not sure if you've seen it, oh. um, by Lem Sisse. Um, I've met Lem. In, have you oh, met Lem? Have Lem? you? Yeah, yeah. Ah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So those amazing. who don't know, he was the official poet of the 2012 Olympics. Um, and this little book, Let the Light Pour In, Morning Poems. Um, I'm going to read the introduction just to it, explain uh, what it's about, because his words do a great job of it. Thanks for opening this experiment in hope. This is how it works. Each morning, I take a running leap and I dive into words. I hunt under the surface for the right ones and emerge with the catch. Then I lay them out in a quatrain and press send. Out they go on my socials. I've been doing it for 10 years. A daily practice. My meditation. It can take minutes or hours, although it really actually happens in minutes. Time is the DNA of poetry. It can take seconds to read a poem, but a lifetime to understand it. It can take a lifetime to write a poem, but seconds to understand it. Ask any poet, how long does it take to write a poem? And they will tell you, five minutes or five years. Equally. The effect of a good poem is that it is timeless. So taking the pressure of time as an opportunity, why not try to squeeze a lifetime into four lines, four lines that stay in your mind, then try again the next morning. These poems have spread in ways I could not have predicted. Artists have made them into murals on city walls and in art centres. People have them as tattoos. They've comforted the unwell. Women have sung them as dawn breaks in the stone circle at Stonehenge. Cafes have them written on their chalkboards. I'm proud of the journeys they've taken. I've poured over thousands of them and chosen for you the ones that mean the most. This book is the conclusion of a 10-year dawn project. Morning is the key. A friend advised me to wake with enthusiasm to the dawning of each day. I like that. Because when I write, I feel like I'm opening windows to let the light pour in. Oh. I mean, he, he had me at the introduction. And, um, you know, me in the morning don't have a, a great kind of relationship. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you two of his poems. So they're only four lines. They're very short. But then if you'll indulge me, I too had a little go of taking a moment each day. So here are two from Lem. How do you do it? said Knight. How do you wake up and shine? I keep it simple, said Light. One day at a time. Oh. One more of his. They're beautiful. They're beautiful, aren't they? And there's so many and they're all different, but these are just the first two. Said the mind to the heart. Said the heart to the mind. The important kind of art is the art of being kind. 
Oh, they're just little nuggets of kind of superb, aren't they? Little diamonds glimmering. The, the, the simplicity of them, yeah. but uh, you can see that those words have been poured over. So, what happened, Jane, is that I tried in the morning. Oh, and I get uh, it. morning is not my. So, here are two from my mornings. Um, time to rise, beep. I refuse. Beep, 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 hit snooze. <laughs> the dawn chorus sings while I snore. My husband brings a cup of tea, which I adore. Aww. And then I kind of thought, I'm not a morning person. For me, I, I'm not a morning person. So so uh, here's, here's my collection of evening, and hopefully there may be slightly better. Witching hour, brain alight, ideas sparking, I like to think at night. Mm. Time alone is time to think, to ponder and reflect. Time alone is time for ideas to create, to tweak and perfect. As chatter changes to slumber, as we slow down to sleep, think grateful thoughts from your day treasure the positives to keep. In the quiet, thoughts can settle and land from the busyness of the day. They get clearer and cause less demand. And the final one you might like. When the day is settled an activity is done, take the weight off your feet and have a rest on your bum. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> oh they're great heather oh love that love that i love the the that sort of capturing of like ideas being treasure that you could collect you know oh yeah. that book looks incredible um, it's lovely i think it's a, a, a nice gift for lots of people to yeah to share um, let the light pour in lem sissa yeah love that it's and gorgeous. um yeah yeah, and um, I just think again, we've said it before, but for uh, class readers, the novel gets a good look in, but you know, it's make sure we're reading poetry, make sure we're reading nonfiction, um, and giving children a chance to do that as well. And Tim made Absolutely. that point really yeah, clearly I was gonna today. Say, Tim made that point, and I think we 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 didn't know what he was going to say, um, and we're recording straight after, and this is what we had prepared. So it's really nice that we fitted in with that. And I would say that we really enjoy our preparing and rehearsal and performing those to each other. Um, so that's kind of fits in with the fluency, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, what what a lovely podcast. Well, Heather, we've come to the end of a really, well, I found it really comforting and insightful. Yeah, me too. Um, and uh, I'm just desperate to go and get my bra off. So can we call it a day now, please? We certainly can. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say goodbye. It yeah. It's so, heart bursts. From Jane and big love. From Heather. See you all soon. Yeah, bye.